Tonight on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1976. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. We're joined by Jack McCaw to discuss the foundation of Apple Incorporated in April of 1976. Every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. This is 50 years of Tune FM 1976. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM and we're, we have uh, Jack in the studio to talk about Apple, which were founded back in 1976 here on Throwback Thursday. How are you? G'day, not too bad. Yeah, 1976, to some of us, that wasn't that long ago, but um, it was in computer terms, basically the prehistory. And so uh, most people are familiar with Apple as the cool and funky brand that uh, hipsters wear and that um, people drool after and some people, you know, sell a kidney to get hold of. <clears throat> it didn't start out that way. It actually started out as a, basically a, um, a, a very introverted um, teenager and his uh, university dropout mate um, wanting to make a buck. <laughs> And they did so from a garage. Yeah, actually, uh, the two Steves, um, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Um, so they met around about the year I was um, born, 1971, which dates me quite accurately. The, uh, the two of them um, started to get along, but Wozniak was the um, epitome of the uh of the computer nerd just at the point where computers were actually something that was feasible to have outside of big businesses or government um <clears throat> they'd both gone to then they both ended up going to university and then dropping out in 19 uh 1975-1976 computer processors like the cpu of the processor was still incredibly expensive um it was within the range of people who had sort of a um a reasonable income but for a couple of guys scratching together yeah um it was still out of um their reach however um in 1976 a processor came on the market uh, it was called the 6800 and it was 10 times cheaper than anything else that had previously existed. And suddenly th these guys saw their opportunity and they got together in um, a mate's garage. The name of it was uh, the Homebrew Computer Club. And Wozniak had been busily sketching on paper the layout of a computer that he wanted to build and to have. And this processor actually put it within his reach. That was an awesome um, opportunity for him. Um, but he just wanted to build it because he was interested in computers. Um, Steve Jobs saw a way to make a buck. And there was a couple of the others who thought, you know, you should sell that. So they did. But what they sold wasn't a computer. They sold the, pl <laughs> the plans to this. And then other people would put it together. 
this was all working out of their um, garage when they first actually built, put one of them together and um, sold it. Literally a garage startup. <laughs> the, the legend goes, and I'm not sure exactly how accurate this is, um, but they sold one of them had a microbus. And in order to finance it, one of them sold that to be able to get the startup capital. Um, it was done in the spirit of making it available to the masses, making it as cheap as possible um, for the enthusiasts. This was this was the spirit that you know they had. So they developed in 1976 the Apple One personal computer to be to put it into context compared to what we've got today what does that look like right <clears throat> so the 6800 processor was made by a company called motorola um the uh, the level of computing power that was available um back then would be um well, the memory, for example, was measured in how many bytes it had, whereas we talk in terms of gigabytes and terabytes now. So um, thousands of millions and millions of, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions for um, what they started with. So they were still in single digits. Um, that gives you some sort of a scope for it. Um, price tag-wise, to buy one of the chips that was the common one was about a week's wage for a professional earning um, income for um, for this chip it was much much more affordable um, and it put it within the the price range of the um, of the enthusiast uh, where he you know would be able to start putting this together. It was leaps and bounds ahead of what they'd had, you know, in 19, the, the computer chip that they were working on for the Apple one was comparable in power to the um, power that had they'd used on the Apollo missions. Yes. Which so is scary. 1969. Um, what's that seven years later, these guys could have that in their garage, which was an incredible um, feat. But in terms of today, um, there is no device that I know of that is so underpowered. Your microwave clock has more processing power and so on than the Apple one has. <laughs> so these were, this was something that guys were, um, they weren't just putting it together and watching blinking lights. They actually used it to make programs, games, um, and enthusiasts made. So in 1976, they were still able to count the number of words that they could fit inside this thing. Um, and that was considered incredibly successful. I think they sold like a, fair, a few hundred of them. Um, and they thought that that was saturating the market. They never thought they'd, they would have sold that. Um, and Wozniak was, you know, only vaguely interested in this as a technical exercise. Um, it was always jobs that was driving the, hey, cool, I can make some money out of this. Let's sell it. Um, but the 
culture that was around at the time um, was also the internet was just starting to be um, built. The sort of thinking that was uh, driving it was a bit of a counterculture. Um, interestingly enough, radio, student radio and student computing or enthusiast computing and ham radio very closely tied together. The two groups of enthusiasts who would uh, take an interest in making something work and they weren't interested in making a buck out of it. They just wanted to, they had the interest in, you know, figuring out how it worked and then making it work was what was driving them. There was also a band at the time, um, I believe the Grateful Dead and quite a few university students wanted to follow that. One of the things that linked them was being able to find out where their concerts were, um, meet up to trade, um, copied uh, cassettes, that kind of thing. So the home computer revolution then led into that and BBSs and connections started to happen. Um, so music that was happening in uh, Australia with Tune FM, the culture at the time and the start of this amazing technological revolution were all in a perfect storm. And that's why they were able to create in their um, garage and find a market for it. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1976. Elsewhere in 1976, in March, the president of Argentina, Isabel Perón, is overthrown by a military coup. Isabel was the third wife of Juan Perón, who had been the Argentine president during the 1940s and 1950s, and again from 1973 to 1974, after having been in exile for 18 years. She was his vice president and took office after his death in 1974, making her the first female president in the world. While she was in power, the economy suffered high levels of inflation. She was also accused of sanctioning political murders and was suspected of being responsible for the disappearances of hundreds of political dissidents. She initially tried to flee the coup but was detained until her eventual exile in 1981. She went to Spain, where she has remained since, despite efforts to extradite and charge her for human rights violations by Argentina. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry.
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1976, the foundation of Apple with Jack McCaw. And in those first couple of years, how did it end up going? Did it take off straight away? They they sold. They were far more successful um, than than they ever dreamed they would be. Um, like I said, they didn't think they had a market for the ones that they'd made. They sold out, um, and then the uh, the Apple II came along um, only about a year later. Um, <laughs> one of the the problems that immediately caused a little bit of a clash. Um, even in those early days, you talk about the two Steves having a clash. Wozniak didn't want it to grow too big and because he was the only guy who knew how this damn thing worked. So the only person who could be able to answer support questions and so on was him. Uh, as a result, um, he didn't want it to get too big because he'd spent all of his time answering letters and uh, phone calls of, you know, Oh, it's doing such and such, or I wanted to do blah. How do I? So the Apple II um, was a was a greater advancement and was also used some more off the shelf uh, stuff to the extent where they actually tried to get um, old versions of it off the market. And it's at that point that the that they really took off um, and it became a serious. They partnered with a, a local um shop um and the computer shop basically took everything that they could make and sell it and then it started to run away and wasn't had a um an interest in making the tech good and affordable and wanting everybody to get one and jobs had an interest in the money and the uh marketing and to make sure that everyone had one so the only thing that they agreed on was that everyone should have an apple the methodology or their ideology was slightly different, but it really, it really, really ramped up through there. Now at this point, and it's an unusual thing for the rest of us today. You think of there's Apple and there's PC. Well, in the 1970s, the late 1970s and all through the eighties, there was, there wasn't just two, there was hundreds of different brands of PCs, literally hundreds. Um, Everything from the Commodore 64, the Z80, uh, and then um, MicroBees, the Australian computer that uh, ended up in a whole bunch of schools. There was pretty much anyone who could um, cobble together a CPU and a keyboard and that could plug into a TV was selling them. The TRS-1, uh, TRS-80, um, another uh, massively uh, popular one, but there was no commonality. If it ran on one, it wouldn't run on the other. And you'd remember, you would be old enough to remember some of the inconsistencies between Apple and PCs. And you know, oh, I've got a an Apple, I've got an Apple disc. Well, I've only got PC, you know, or transferring files between the two. That was a major problem for neighborhood kids as they were growing up. If whatever one your friends had, if you didn't get the same as they got, you're out in the cold. So Commodore 64 for gaming came up, um, various others. As we progress through the years, we get to a point though where um, a company took an interest in this home computer market, the enthusiast market, the kiddies playing area and went, hmm, maybe we could make a dollar out of it. 
that company was called IBM. Now they were famous for making the big blue machines. They were the big companies, the government, and so on, serious computers. Now they decided to get into the personal computer market, PCs. Um, and they decided that they were going to copy the Apple marketing technique. They built their um, computing hardware. They very famously outsourced the software for the operating system to some guy called William Gates. Um, turns out that that was a mistake. <laughs> We've never forgiven them for that. Um, and then they just copied literally all of the things that Steve Jobs did to locations. They would buy the shop straight across the road from an Apple store. They would um, copy the, uh, the advertising campaigns um, and so on. When confronted about this, uh, Steve Jobs, when he was said, you know, IBM's catching up to you, they're doing exactly what you've been doing over the years. He deadpan in this interview, looks at them and says, we don't care who's in the parade, just as long as we're leading it. And that was the attitude that they managed to take for many years of, hey, we're in front. We're the ones who are here first. We've got all the cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, you want to buy a great boring gray box or a business one? Yeah, that's off there. This thing came to a crunch um, uh, in the 80s as uh, the the genius of Steve Wozniak and the enterprise of Steve Jobs. And then all of the pressure from the IBM PC group started to really come to a head. And there were some very famous breakups. Um, you know, we've already all had that spectacular emotional breakdown in a relationship and throwing the toys out of the cot. Well, they did that with a multi-million dollar company. <laughs> And Apple slid pretty badly. Shareholders in Apple um, were horrified as they thought, we're just going to, we're going to get in and this company will make money. It didn't. It backslid for many years and eventually he came back um, to it with his dream and his visions and so on. And we know the history of that um, since, particularly with the eye development. Um, just as an interesting aside, the amount of computing power that is currently available to um, most university students who have an, uh, a MacBook um, with them, or even just an iPad, hell, a modern iPhone, has more computing power in it and storage than TuneFM had in all of its systems when I started as an undergrad in 1997. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The entire, yeah. They had no digital production. They were still doing tape to tape, reel to reel um, production. So you'd record your voice and then you would dub on, you'd run the cassette tape again and dub on, on another track on the, uh, thing the backing music behind it and then you would master that down to then go into a track to be played in the studio there wasn't there was one computer in the office and that was it and wow. that was in 1997 jeez 
You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1976. Elsewhere in 1976, in September, NASA unveiled the first space shuttle, the Enterprise, to the public during a presentation. The Enterprise was only a prototype created to conduct test flights, and the official launch of the space shuttle program did not occur until April 1981 with the launch of the Columbia. The Enterprise weighed in at about 150,000 pounds and cost nearly 10 billion US dollars to create. While the first space shuttle never actually made it into space, it did become the first of the space shuttles to fly during a test in the following year after it was unveiled. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. This is I Wish by Stevie Wonder.
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1976, the foundation of Apple with Jack McCaw. Well, as you said, a lot of things have changed um, about the computing industry in general and about Apple. So in the space of 44 years, um, how much has it grown? So we've gone from, let's see, they were selling the... um, they sold approximately 200 of these machines for about $200, I think, each and thought that they were doing huge money. Um, there is, as far as I know, no one bigger in the IT space. Um, a multi-billion dollar company um, that has made more millionaires out of its um, employees, I think, than any other company. So individually, um, early technicians, um, designers and so on have gone on to great personal success. Um, When Apple does a product release, you can literally watch the impact that it has on internet traffic around the world. That's because everyone is tuning into to watch that to watch the product release or to um, get the details and so on. Uh, In several countries, when there is a product release, uh, Apple stores have to apply for permits because they're that popular for crowd control permits. So, you know, the idea of just lining up, you know, that we're we're quite used to it. In some countries, the lineups and the, the gatherings the governments, they have to say, uh, our infrastructure can't cope. You're going to have to like get permissions and police guys and so on to you know handle this because it could turn very um, incredibly ugly. That's um, almost a religious fervor that we do not see associated with any um, other product um, outside of, say, some of the luxury uh, market things, you know, trying to um, trying to express the emotions that this large country, uh, this large, um, well, it's its uh, income is larger than many countries' entire gross domestic product. Um, trying to express just how big that is, um, you're familiar with some of the tax. Um, headlines that have made about the tech giants having this. Um, Apple has led the way on a lot of the multinational and driven a lot of the uh, international trade to an extent that affects um, various countries' entire um, taxation system. And they rely on some of the the, um, friction of as Apple passes through their country. It's not bad for something that was started by, you know, funded by the sale of a you know, microbus in 1976 that now affects uh, more people, uh, attracts more people to its um, product launches than the Pope's speech at Easter time. Wow. Jeez. It literally is a religion. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. 
And just expanding on that, I mean, I'm talking to you on an over Zoom on an Apple iMac at the moment. I'm getting messages telling me to do so from my boss on an iPhone. How much does UNE rely on Apple um, just through our IT services? Okay. So one of the things that uh, has become very apparent over the years is that there is a stronger than ever um, split between the PC architecture and the Apple architecture. Um, the modern day, your MacBook Pro is actually running on an operating system. Um, we mentioned Microsoft Windows before being um, that thing that IBM thought that they bought. Turns out they only licensed it. Apple built their own. Um, and in the last few years of their um, dynasty, they decided to uh, change from a very obscure one that they made themselves and they decided to stand on the uh, shoulders of giants. And their operating system is built on an open source uh, system called BSD. LSD and BSD, they both came out of the University of Berkeley. You do the math. Um, these guys um, have a free open source operating system that they've um, distributed. Apple has mirrored that and uses that in their devices. As a result, it's um, a very secure, stable, known operating system working on known hardware. As a result, it is incredibly popular um, for many of our students. Um, and as a result, many of our staff use them in certain um, areas. We therefore have to um, support and handle um, two systems in the university. So you have your Microsoft and PC users and you have your um, Apple users. Now you remember I talked about earlier in, during the 1980s where basically if you know, your mates had a different computer to you, you couldn't play together? Yeah, yeah. That's no longer the case. We now have... Um, the systems have matured enough and they actually play together much better. Um, the university has put in place uh, management software and systems to be able to handle the massive number of Mac or Apple-based products, iPads, iPhones, MacBook Pros, um, the, um, the iMacs, all throughout the... Um, the various systems so that they can talk to our core systems and still get the same functionality as our um, PC brethren. The uh, interesting one for many of us though, is trying to give in some way to part with a piece with a, uh, with a Mac. Um, it's still good. It's still running. They've run into making the gear so good. It lasts too long. What that means is that it can't be upgraded on the software side. Some of the security holes are there, but it still runs. It's still fine as far as they're concerned. <laughs> trying to convince somebody, okay, it's a seven-year-old uh, piece of gear. Apple is refusing to do updates for it anymore. You've got to let it go. Um, but we're getting, um, we're getting better with that. The... Uh, the impact in education around the world uh, from having access to high quality 
resilient, stable, um, incredibly strong processing power in the form of um, Apple and handheld devices. That's not just your MacBook Pro. We're talking about that iPhone. Um, there are people making use of that in education where that's the best computing device they've got. It's in some countries, uh, in some areas, that's the only computing device they've got. And it's opened up a whole new world for them. So we're very much aware that the platform is um, here. It's used. Um, people leverage it with incredible results, both in creative and in um, research areas. So we found that making sure that we've got the systems in place to be able to talk to that, absolutely critical. Ask any uh, student, you know, that has a Mac, um, if they could change over to a PC, they look at you horrified. Yeah. They'd rather, you know, which could you take a limb instead? Please leave me my Mac. I need to be able to do it. And we're getting, we're getting to the point where it's just absolutely interchangeable. Thanks to them using the, the BSD operating system. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Throwback Thursday to give us a bit of a brief history of Apple. And it's, it's mind boggling to think they've been around for quite so long. 44 years from 1976 to till today, they have got a um, plan that um, at its shortest plots the next 10 years of growth. Wow. So they're not going away anytime soon. Absolutely not. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, I hope to see you again if we come across another significant point in tech history and as we go through our 50 years of history in June. Look forward to it, mate. Thank you again for the invitation. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. That was Throwback Thursday, 1976. Don't forget to join us next week as we move on to 77. Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1976, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Don't forget to join us at the same time next week as we discuss the release of the first Star Wars film in 1977.